clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you yes. ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. That's been it. Basically everything from this week to July canceled on me. Okay. Oh, wow. I got 58 canceled. And, um, yeah, I, I get it. I, you know, I knew they were going to cancel. It's just, it's just hard looking at it. Yeah, every time you open up your email, you like, you like, you know, and I'm like, look in there and see how, which one's coming next. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I went through it myself. I've had uh, 41 cancellations. Yeah, I figured. I figured. Um, across the board, pretty much everybody, um, period. But the guys here in Florida are really going to take it on the chin considering, you know, I don't know about you, but I make about, 50% of my income in the first four months of the year. Yeah. You know, and the rest of the year, you know, you stay busy and everything's great. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. No income bit. now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we're bringing the wife, you know, she's got a small business too. And um, they made them shut down because of the and salon and haircuts and all that kind of stuff. So, they're mandatory shutdown. And, um, dude, she's got 45 people working there. 45? Yeah, and they're all home now. No. Dude. You know what I mean? So, uh. Yeah, we're just getting crippled over here. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Are they, how are they, um, How's the FWC and the cops treating it over there? Like, if you wanted to go out fishing, they would say they're nothing? Pretty, they're pretty chill. Okay. So far. They, haven't been, yeah. they really haven't been told not to be chill yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, here, um, when I went last week, you know, I brought my licensing. And, dude, last year, the FWC made us license our skiffs commercially, which we never had to do that before. And I kind of got a little bit of piss and match about it because it doesn't exactly um, line up with the safety requirements. You know, safety requirements for commercial vessels different than a skiff, and because of that, I didn't think it should mix, right? Yeah. But this year, when I go, the only way I was able to get in the water at the ramp was to show them my commercial registration, which I bitched and moaned about last year. <laughs> wow. How do you commercially register? Huh? Where do you commercially register? Dude, it's the stupidest thing in the world until this week. <laughs> but but it, it, you just registered exactly like you register um, the boat recreationally, except you tell them it's a commercial vessel. And I thought I was going to get whack like a few hundred bucks, and it was like $3. And I was like, oh. yeah, so I was like against it last year. And then this year, it's saving me three hundred thousand bucks. So <sighs> for three dollars, so much for bitching and moaning about that. Anyway, um, uh, Dave, I started the recording, and it looks like it's recording real good. Um, you guys, bear with us. We're on Skype today because of the social distancing. Distancing. I'm not, I'm not able to sit face to face with one of the snook gods, one of the true. Snook legends that are still out there doing trips every day. I got the mad snooker Dave Pomerleau on um, 
the Lunker Dogs Real Guy Show. Dave, thanks for being here with me. No, no problem. Glad to be here. I got nothing else going on except Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> nice. And now you're, uh, I introduced you to Skype. And you can Skype yeah, yeah. you want. <laughs> I never Skype before, but uh, I've, you know, I've done FaceTime, but I've never Skype. But the, uh, actually, was on the water last night with a friend of mine. Yeah, I saw that in your text. What the heck are you telling me? Is it a shark night out there? Man, we were catching like all the, you know, 24, 24, 25 inch snook we wanted. And we we get we quit doing that. And then we went and got, uh, cast knitted up some, some good size uh, mullet. Right. And we tried to go for some big snook. And we went down to a little cut and just a small, small little cut right. by some docks and I got a, about a 25 pounder right up to the boat and let that one go. And then all of a sudden it just, the place turned into bull shark city. It was, we hooked 15 bull sharks in under an hour and a half. Now you were actually fishing for the sharks at that point or you, or they were crushing your smokes? No, they were actually crushing the, the mullet. We oh, were the just, mullet that you got for the big smokes. Okay. Yeah. Lot, so I took, the, I took the mullet and we were just cutting them in half and putting them down there on a circle hook with about a two ounce egg sinker and just one big bull shark after another. And of course I didn't have any steel leader with me. The heaviest right. stuff I had was 80 pound fluorocarbon. And well, you know how that ended most of the time. <laughs> we, we got two or three of them close enough to the boat. We could see what they were and they were six, seven foot bull sharks. And the rest of them were just, you know, it sounded like a drill. Yeah. <laughs> These sharks actually had some girth on them and everything. Dave, oh. tell, me, tell my audience um, the area that you're doing your fishing from. Most of the time it's from the middle, about the middle of Sarasota Bay down to Inglewood. Um, Venice, Inglewood, Osprey, Sarasota. Sometimes I'll even, in the summertime when I want to get a little hardcore, I'll go down into Boca Grande. Uh, and then occasionally I run over to your side and just go for fun. I don't really guide over there. I just go there to have fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Go you over. come to the East Coast just to, like, blow up some steam and do something different, huh? Do something different. Get over there. And, then the, you know, it's in the summertime over there. It's it's just easy. You know, you know. I, I don't have to tell anybody. You go to, like, Jupiter Inlet in July and you drop a bait over the side and count to three and lift. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just, yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, and every then that's when everybody's posting up all these photos, you know, and it's like, look at me, I'm a hero. Well, show me those same fish in December, buddy. There you go. <laughs> right? Spoken like a true snook fisherman. Like, show me the meat, dude. Let me see what you got. Show me the meat in the dead of the winter, not in the summertime when it's easy. Well, everybody's a hero when it's easy, including myself, right? I'm not. Hey. I'm. Yeah, I'm not immune. I I go out there in the summertime when they're stacked up. But I won't sit there and just beat on them and beat on them. Maybe I'll catch 20 or 30 of them, and then that's it. I just it's just leave them alone. There's no sense just sore-lipping them. Yeah. I tell you that the, the big snooks here in Fort Lauderdale that I used to fish for all the time and you know, kind of built my business on in the, in the early days, there's still some big snooks around here to be caught, but I don't take charters for them that much anymore. I just don't have... Uh, there's not enough of them for me to take people all the time and beat up on them. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it, it, or, you know, sometimes it requires a lot of patience, which sometimes they don't have. Yeah, that too. That too. <clears throat> you know. 
What do you, what do you think the like the, the biggest difference that a guy that really wants to get into snook fishing? If you were trying to explain him the difference between catching your everyday twenty to thirty inch snook to catching um, you know your slot to medium sized snook or to actually targeting huge snook, I mean, how would you try to explain that to your well, average I try to. fisherman? I try to tell people that in, in my world, there's three kinds of snook. There's snooklet, right. there's snook, and then there's snook. <laughs> and the snooklets, and then you got your, you know, your 18 to 25 inch snook, snooklets, 26 to 36 inch snook. That's a, that's a snook. Right. You get up around 36, 38 inches. That's respectable. But once yeah, you yeah. jump over to like 20, 20 pounds on up, now you're getting into snook. When you get into over 30 pounds you're getting into a whole almost like the twilight zone of snook you're not uh there are very few people it happens but most people say man i would love to catch a 20 pound snook and i go well, that's about a 40 incher over here on the east on the west coast on the east coast 20 pound snook could be 37 inches because they're so fat right right you get there they're a much heavier thicker fish over there and, you know, we, we always cut up about who came up with this 40-inch club crap. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was the best. Oh, man, that was one of the best posts I ever made. And then um, the way it worked out was just hilarious. That was so good. You know, It was uh, funny. It was funny. And at a, I think we were – I mean, we did just over 100 podcasts or maybe right at 100 podcasts so far. I think we have like um, 80 – it's called 85 of them up where you can watch them or listen to them on iTunes. And one of the top performing podcasts that gets listened to every single day was uh, the 40-inch Snook Club podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, listen- I was listening to the two of you because a buddy of mine sent this, and he goes, you and your 40-inch club pin, it's your fault. You did it. You did it, Dave. It's your damn fault. And I go. I had to come up with something because whenever we get a 40 inch snook, it just seemed to be a mark that everybody would call and ask me for, you know, but, but start, from, start from the beginning, Dave. So you're taking the Midwesterners out, the guys in from Michigan and, you know, Chicago and that kind of thing. And they're coming to the West coast of Florida and you're taking them out. And, um, take, <laughs> so tell everybody how you started the 40 inch snook club. Well, just everybody started <clears throat> started calling me up, going, "Hey, man, I want to go get a big snook." I go, "Well, you know, what what, what what do you consider big?" I said, "They say anything forty inches or bigger, man. It just seems to be the benchmark." And we started, you know, before two thousand and eighteen with the red tide, we were consistently whacking. You know, we might get five or six a night that big, and, right. and bigger. And so I just. I, don't know, I was sitting around one day and I'm looking at my old Field and Stream honor badge. The Field and Stream used to have this honor badge with all different species of fish. Right. And you'd send in a dollar and tell them what it was and a photo of the fish. And they would send it back to you with the, the pound carved into the back of it. And on the front, it's a Field and Stream honor badge. And there, then this one was a snook, the one I got when I was just a kid. I, I got a 36 and a half pound snook and they sent me back for one dollar they sent me back my honor badge and i'm looking at this goofy thing and i'm thinking you know what yeah i can make a little like a little 
little honor badge of my own, you know, and it, and I put it on at the Mad Snooker, and then somebody said, why don't you put the 40-inch club on it? And like a dummy, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> like I a stuck, genius. I, I stuck that little 40-inch club on the on the hat pin, and they got I got gold, silver, and bronze, uh, copper ones. Most people like the silver, but, you know, it just came kind of like this thing, you know, you got a 40-incher, you know, that maybe if it was 39 and a half, we'd go, ah, it's 40 inches, you know, whatever, you know. But like you guys said, you know, there's there's uh, there's lunkers and then there's straight lunkers. You're certified, <laughs> you know, certified the, um, lunker. Yeah, but, the, um, but the the forty inch snow club is is has taken on its own thing at this point, Dave. And it's almost, it's, and I think it's like, you know, I, I want to get the word out, you know, how it came about, and then the fact and fiction about a forty inch snook. See. The reason I think the 40-inch snook club is absolutely genius is because, like you, I'm a professional fisherman, and I take people to catch parking and snook. And to think that I could send a guy back to Texas, or I could send a guy back to Missouri, or I could send a guy back to Boston, and he's got his 40-inch snook pin and tells all his buddies about his 40-inch snook and how he's in this club. Which is, I mean, you know, for somebody from Minnesota or whatever, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah they, 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 they wear that hat pin around. And where'd you get that? <clears throat> well, I got it with the Mad Snooker. And I've given away about, well, 225 of them mm-hmm. since I first got them. And I've given a few of them to kids that have caught over 40 snook in one night, which is, that's like normal. Uh, many nights on an average night, we'll get 40, 50, 60 snook easily, but. If I get, you know, a little seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid, 10-year-old, whatever, I have to say, you know what? Tonight, we just call this the 40 Snook Club. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Give him a hat to, pin. Kids got to love that. Oh, yeah. So I've given away probably like 50 like that. I used to give away T-shirts all the time. Well, that got too darn expensive, you know. But what do you tell what do you tell the avid Snook fisherman? This day and age, that lives in Florida, that fishes for snook, uh, given the benefit of the doubt, two days a week, and are online bragging about their 40-inch snook. Well, I don't know. You just usually, if I see a post like that, I'll just I'll just say nice fish. Well, give yeah. them a thumbs. Give them a thumbs up, even though. Half the time, it's a thirty-four being held up, make, made to look forty. Now, I want to know. I want to know what you would tell the kid if you guys were alone on a bridge somewhere and you were friendly. You weren't trying to offend him or anything. <laughs> I never <laughs> tried playing the forty-inch snook thing to him, as opposed to the guy from Minnesota. Well, I, you know, I. I've seen guys catch some nice snook off of bridges, and I've also seen the fact that they mishandled them. And that's when you, it's hard to be polite, but you're just like, so you really, so I, you know, I, I walked up and said, hey, you know, it's a nice fish, you know, but right. it's flop with it flopping around in your hoop net on the concrete up here, it's losing all its slime and scales. And by the time you get it over after you dropped it twice, because you can't hang on to it to hold it for a photo because you keep dropping it. You you know, you watch them drop it two, three times. By the time that's over with, there's no slime and scales left on the fish, and then they just throw it over. And it's just, 
you know, <laughs> at that point, it, you, you just got to shake your head and walk away. Well, you right. killed that one. <laughs> I've been up on bridges with David Justice before, and and now Dave won't hold his tongue. He'll just look at him and go, yeah, you killed that one. Dave's not going to hold his tongue. I hold my tongue because I'm not as big as he is. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm an idiot because I, I tried to do this, you know, through social media. But I was watching the guys um, brag about their 40-inch smokes and this, that, and the other. And um, I don't know. I tried to explain to them that a 40-inch smoke is a great fish for the guy from Minnesota. But for the dude that's actually, you know, on the bridges and fishing a couple of days a week, that they really needed to raise the bar. And oh, well, way higher. Right. To like, in my opinion, 30-pound club. Exactly. You know I mean? I'm thinking those guys need to, like, raise the bar, set the standards higher for themselves. Yeah, forget the 40-inch club. Well, a 40-inch snook over here is going to be about 20 pounds on average. Over there, 22, 23. Um, they're just fatter. Um, uh, a 30-pound club? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And people, you know, people have asked me, how many times have you been in the 30-pound club? I go myself personally, about 280, 90 times. Right. I got, I got three over 40. Right. I got a 45 pounder, I got a 41 and a half pounder and a 42 pounder, but that's 40, almost 46 years of like Captain Insano snook fishing. I mean, I, I'm allergic to seafood. I can't eat them. I don't like to kill them. I just like to let them go, let them grow. Right. Um, so people, you know, always, they always ask me, well, what do you, th- what do you think about this closed season? I go, it's fine with me. And they go, well, what about your customers? I go, well, even when the season's open and I'm not going to lie saying the season's open is just gives them the illusion that they're going to get a keeper because there's two kinds of snook over here, basically not completely across the board, but most of the snook over here are either too short or way too big. (laughs) There's nothing in the slot. (laughs) So I, so even if the season's open, you're just selling the illusion that they're going to get a slot anyway, because they're either going to get 40 of them that are, that are, are too short and then they might get five that are way too big. Right. You know, and I've had guys actually do that more times than I can count and then complain because they didn't get a slot fish to right. take home. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. You had a horrible time, didn't you, Bob? You only caught 45 snook. You got six over 40 inches in one night. And, uh, it, you know, you, <laughs> it was a, just a horrible trip, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that, that goes beyond, way beyond what we can do or not do for them. Like these tools grow up. Um, bragging about how many fish they had on their string for their fish fry or whatever. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, um, you know, and that's one of the reasons, and that was kind of the next kind of segue. One of the reasons that I don't take that many clients out for big snooks anymore. I th- you know, if there's some, if there's some schools of snooks around the inlets or whatever, it's not like we don't catch them, but like to target the, the real, you know, certified lunkers, you know, the, the big snooks. I just don't take my clients out there anymore. I don't know. It's like a, to me, it's like a, almost like a spiritual thing at this point. 
Oh yeah, it's yeah, and that or you you love it when you go back the next night and they're sitting there in a pontoon boat with seven guys you never met. Yeah, well that's yeah that that's a whole other element to it. That yeah, exactly. Totally yeah, that totally sucks. But the you know my the, favorite is you know I get I get people that call me like I had these this one group of guys four guys they want to go for four hours in November with solid thirty mile an hour wind gust to thirty five. Water right. temperature in the low low 60s, and they they only want to do a four hour trip with four guys in low 60 degree water temperature with a solid 30 mile an hour wind, and they only want to catch big ones. Well, we <laughs> caught over we caught over 30 small ones. It was all I could do to find a spot to get out of the wind and still catch snook of any size with those conditions, let alone big ones. Right. And I and I, I looked at them. I told them I said, stay home. It's not going to happen. It's it's blowing. It's cold. It's the wrong time of year. You're coming with too many people. You're coming in horrible conditions, wrong time of year, wrong water temperature. It takes two hours sometimes just to get the big bait to go get the big fish. I said it can't be done on a four hour trip unless, you know, I've got a ton of big bait that's not even around right now. And those big fish aren't around right now. So we went out there. We caught like 30 plus snook. Yeah, there was a bunch of like 22 to 24, 25 inch snook. And then he. Then he complained and, and called me, uh, told me I ripped him off and uh, goes out there and bashes me on social media. Said I oh. ripped him off and then I was a joke. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I don't know. They, you know, social media is a double-edged sword when it comes to that. People look at um, maybe all the big fish that you're catching in a short amount of time. Um, you know, they expect it to be like that all the time. People don't even People don't even understand that catching a 30-pound snook, right, if you get a 40-pound snook, but catching a 30-pound snook would be equivalent to catching like a 750-pound marlin in the marlin. Exactly. You know I mean? Like if I fished for marlin, which I did at one point in my life, right, you would get just a, a ton of fish between 250 pounds and, say, 450 pounds. And then if you got one over 450 pounds... It was like, okay, and you might get one of those, I don't know, one in 15 fish. And then maybe one in 20 fish, you would get like, maybe one in 40 fish, you would get one like, you know, closer to 750. And the difference between a 250-pound marlin and a 750-pound marlin is the same exact difference as a 20-inch snook and a 30-pound snook. And these fools don't get it. And that's kind of what I mean by it's a little bit spiritual to me. Oh, yeah. It's a whole different level. It's a whole different understand. plateau. Yeah, he didn't understand what you just did for him. Like, didn't even register. I have people call me all the time and they say, Dave, what do I got to do to catch a 30-pound snook? I really, that's like my dream. That's my lifelong gold. I said, you married? Yeah. You got kids? Yeah. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> You, you got a you got a forty hour a week job, yeah, and you got kids, wife, yeah. Uh, stick a fork in it; it's not going to happen until those kids are gone, and you're and uh, you're willing to risk getting divorced. Because the guys who catch those big big snook, there's two kinds of guys who catch big snook: guys who are really really wealthy and can afford to do it all the time, yeah. or really really broke guys that spend all their time doing it and they're out there on a john boat or they're standing on a seawall and they don't have a wife they don't have a kid heck half of them only work you know maybe don't even have a job or they drive around an old beat up pick, pickup truck 
But the right. best, the best big, big monster snook fishermen that I see are guys that are just, just don't care. They don't care that they're driving around a truck that's held together with duct tape and bungee cords and, and they don't have a wife and they don't have any kids. And maybe they just work like, uh, 30 hours a week at a restaurant washing dishes or waiting tables or whatever. And, and then those are the guys or otherwise, but you get the guy who's got a wife, got kids, got a job, has to be responsible, wants fishing to stay married, just fishing on the weekend. He, he's so that, that guy's going to come to you and I to go get these big snook. Well, he has to understand that it has to be the right conditions. It's got to be the right barometer. You got to have the right bait, the right boat. Uh, you got to present the boat in the right spot. You have to have the right presentation with the right hook, the right leader, the right line. You have to even anchor the boat right in the right spot and put that bait in there just the way it's got to be in the right month with the right tide. Hopefully, you got a good barometer. Maybe you got a good solar table or not. But it's like baking a cake. If one of the ingredients is missing, well, the cake's not going to come out right. But yeah. you got to have all those things jived up. And, you know, when they call you for those big snook in November with 30 mile an hour winds on a four hour trip with four guys, it's not going to happen. It was never going to happen in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, and then I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You go up to fish, a, uh, say you go up to fish a dock, go up to fish some lit structure and you get in there. And unfortunately, the snook are up underneath the structure and you look at them and say, OK, well, Joe or Bob or whatever, you got to throw it up under that dock about 10, 15 feet and then just crank it out at a pretty good pace and they right. look at you like you just told them uh you got to build a skyscraper i can't throw it under that dock well here and then you, you whip it up under there and hand it to them they rip it out well then that's fine but then you get these you get these guys that just they can't throw it under there had one old guy told me he said dave I, I i can't throw it under there well i'll throw it under there and he goes well if you throw it under there and you hook them that's like you cutting my steak and chewing it for me too and <laughs> And yeah. I said, yeah, that is, you know, that is treating you a little bit like a kid. And I've had guys complain about me treating them like kids. And I'm like, oh, I have no choice. I have no choice. What do you want? Me you can't make the cast. Yeah, I yeah. can make the cast. You can't do it. No, I can do it. I've been watching you for two and a half hours. You couldn't do it if I was standing there with a gun. Um, we're running out of time here. <laughs> or, yeah, we're running out of time. We're on a four or six hour trip. You want to catch snook, but you can't make the cast, but you're mad if I do it. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you've ran into that. I know you have. <laughs> of course I ran into it. And that's one of the reasons why I don't do snook fishing so much. Like, I don't think, that, you know, they appreciate, um, you know, what, what, what has gone into it, what has to go into it. I mean, you know, they just think it's like a carnival ride. And with a lot of other species, you know what I mean? I can work through that, and I can do different things at different times of year. But the snook client needs to be like, hey, Jeff, you know, I, re I really want to catch a big snook. And then shut up. Then let me tell him, okay, well, why don't you come down the third week in May? Okay, we're going to have a freaking going to be a backside of the moon, and we got a great tide, and friggin', we're going to need to fish for two and a half nights, probably. If we get it done the first night, friggin', we'll go out to dinner, you can give me a good tip. How does that sound? And then the client has to say, yes, 
That guy, I would entertain doing a snug trip with. The problem is, is there's hardly any of those guys left. So after you say all that, right, the guy turns around and says, yeah, well, I'm coming at the end of November. Bingo. That's why I don't do snook trips no more, dude. That's miss, That's unrealistic expectations guy. Well, I'm, just, you know, I'm just saying that's why I don't do it so much anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, it gets frustrating. It gets frustrating, and, and, and I don't think that that type of angler is – like around anymore. Everybody wants this instant gratification thing, you know? One of the guys that I took out um, last year or the year before last was my longtime client, Jim Hayes. And he got his 30 pound snook. And after getting him his 30 pound snook, it's kind of be like if Tom Brady quit after the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Exactly. He's. And that's kind of the way I feel right now about the Giants Snooks. But I do want to take my daughter out and teach her the game. Oh, exactly. That's the that's the best. And uh, I've kind of pigeonholed, you know, I've kind of I've kind of created my own Frankenstein's monster, Snookenstein's monster. You know, I've created my own monster because I have caught crazy amounts of big snook. And yeah. but people have to understand that conditions change. You know, it uh, like the red thing, the red tide. It, the, yeah. What do they expect? It, what do they expect anybody to do after freaking that type of catastrophe? Yeah, that red tide knocked the numbers of big snook down a lot. It really yeah. did, and it pushed a lot of them around and killed an awful lot of them. And um, it's going to take a while to rebound prior to the red tide, even after the freeze of 2010. Up right. in the t- 2013, 14, 15, 16, I was catching loads of big snook. That I was, I was really shocked it survived that 2010 freeze. I'm like, where did you guys? They must have gone way up rivers, power plants, hot water outflows. But these snook that got caught out on the beach in the 2018 red tide, that was most of what you saw that was dead were the big ones. I saw lots and lots of big fish, especially down like Boca Grande, Inglewood, that right. area on the beach, Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. They got they got slammed and decimated, and you know they're still big snook around but it's certainly not what it was in say even 2016 2017 yeah. i have this regular this guy came over two years in a row from japan named shoshiro now shoshiro came to fish with me five nights in a row and all the way from japan by himself and he says and he and he's got this very unique voice he's like oh i want to catch the big snook and i'm like yes <laughs> sir and that's what we're here for and he goes oh this is fun <laughs> And we, yeah. we caught a lot of big snook. We caught a crazy amount of big snook. And he was going to come back for a third year in a row in 2018. And then the red tide hit. And he had something going on with his job. So he couldn't come anyway. And I said, you know what? It worked out. Right. Worked this year to miss the year. This is a year to miss, right? Yeah. You missed the, you missed the best year to miss. So, yeah, 2018 after the red tide, it was that was that was my best. I mean, my worst big snook year I can ever remember. In all my life, that was the worst year. I went from getting like 60 to 70, like really certified lunkers, uh, say from 2017, 2016. I was getting 60, 70 big lunker snook, and you know each each spring summer that year. Yeah, right. To like 2018, I think we managed like 17 yeah. <laughs> after after the red tide. Yeah. I was like, it just 
You're like every spot you go to, every pass, inlet, cut. Well, they they weren't there. When I first learned about you and you and I, it's a funny story. Um, Is it the beginning of social media, right? What what, 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 was this, probably 13 years ago now? Something like that? Yeah, back when you used to mess with me on the phone, you'd call me up and say, hey, is this the Mad Snooker? And I'd say, yeah. And you'd say, suck my lunker dog and hung hang up. <laughs> Dude, that wasn't me. That, that might have been freaking nuts in my freaking fan base. It was somebody somebody over there. It was a 305 area code. They used to call <laughs> me up and say, is this the Mad Snooker? And i go, yeah. How can I help you? And they go, suck my lunker dog. And then they hang up. <laughs> The kids still thank me today and just yell that dog and hang up. It but, was it was somebody just messing with me. I thought it, I thought that was you and I got a kick out of it. Oh, dude! Well, I don't think people understand like um, how the how the whole thing evolved. See, years ago when snook fishing was very good, those years the snook fishing was phenomenal. I was doing a lot of snook fishing here in Port Everglades, and Dave was doing it over there in the Sarasota area. And both of us, it was like every day um, between YouTube and Facebook and if I'm missing it, am I missing anything? But it was just like, okay, look at Dave's big longer. Oh, look at Jeff's big longer. Oh, look at – and it just went back and forth for like, what, two years? Yeah, quite a bit. Like two different fan clubs almost, like the, the West Coasters that were like all into Dave Parmalu, the mad snooker, and then – the East Coasters or whatever that were into the Lunker Dog, and they like would pit Dave and I against one another. And well, then, had, don't forget Dave Justice, because he was in there. <laughs> right? Had Dave? Oh, everybody! And um, so this went on for a couple of years, and 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 Dave and I kind of just like went along with it and just kept posting and kept you know kept the fire burning. And then um, where did we first meet? Was it LunkerCon? LunkerCon, yeah, the, the the first one you did over here in, in Tampa. Was that the first time we met face-to-face? Well, that and I think one time over there and uh, one time, oh, I can't remember what bait shop it was, but you were you were too busy to, I I, I was with Justice one time and I, I well, think you, yeah, I was with, I run, I ran, I've run around with Justice for years and we run all over the East Coast and West Coast, but fact i was on the phone with him just a couple nights ago and we we're talking about going to do some land fishing just to get out of the house yeah he wants to you know he's like you know he's he's just you know he's he's no happier about all this garbage than anybody you know nobody's happy about this this is horrible yeah I bet, I bet just, I bet. cancellation city but um but anyway we we, we met face to face and freaking started laughing with one another and then um um, every time I've come over to the, the West Coast, I always reach out to the snooker and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be over there. And then usually one of us is booked at the time. We haven't been able to, like, go fishing together. But um, what I did learn was that there were some people that I was able to get to know, like Dave Parmalu, that was real snook guys, like real snook guys. And... All the bullshit that happens on social media, all the hating and bashing and all the crap. When uh, you get to know guys like Dave Justice and guys like Dave Parmelo and guys like Mike Goodwine down there. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But um, let's, let's not forget the grand, the grand, 
the grand, the, you know, like the the granddaddies, like George Culpa and Tommy Green. Right, right. Those those are the Godfathers. So <clears throat> you know, it's good to know that uh, um, to have the guy to know, you know, the guy on the West Coast, the Mad Smoker. It's been a pleasure, Dave. Thanks for being on um, the Real Guy Podcast, and I hope it's not the last time. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed the heck out of it. If anybody wants to come over here when this all clears up, just look at madsnooker.com and let's let's get together. And I got to get you and your daughter out over here. Bring your bring whoever you want, and we'll just go have some fun and just cut up and maybe make a video. Just you know, it just that would be a fun video. Just go out and make a video catching some good sized snook here on the west coast. Well, maybe, maybe down in maybe all this crap we're going through. Um, and all these cancellations that we've both suffered. Um, maybe we'll be able to make that happen this summer. And uh, Dave, thanks for being on the podcast. I oh, thank like- you. I, 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 I listened to all your podcasts, and still, your, yeah, your 40-inch club was absolutely my favorite. Right on. Right I on, brother. Talk I'll talk to you soon. Um, be good, be safe, and I wish you all the best. Remember, that's the Mad Snooker. You can book him on the West Coast, Sarasota area. Best snook fisherman on the west coast of Florida. It's guaranteed 100%. Thanks, Dave. Take care. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Right on. I spent a few more minutes on the phone with Dave, um, you know, after the podcast and just kind of, you know, shot the shit a little bit. And sure enough, I recorded some of the some of the stories between uh, Dave Parmelou and Dave Justice, and uh, I thought you guys might enjoy them. So let's keep this episode going just a little bit and check out the stories with uh Parmalu and Justice goes flying. I mean, just flying through the air with one of those nine-foot bridge rods and a big old dual converted forot, and it flies. And then it comes down in the hood of a Volkswagen that's driving by the bridge, <laughs> and it caves in the hood of the Volkswagen. And then the, this like Vietnamese guy gets out and goes, "You fucking crazy! You fucking throw fish!" And Dave goes, "Shut up and just take the fish." And and the, the Vietnamese guy go, I take, I take? And he's like, yeah. And he took the fish, and he didn't complain anymore, and he just drove off with it. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's something Dave told me about. I'm like, I didn't witness it. But I have seen Dave and I were on the opposite side of a bridge over in Jupiter one, one morning at about daybreak. Yeah. I'm pitching a big mullet. I'm pendulum tossing a big mullet, like three lanes of traffic under the bridge. And he's doing the same on the other side. And unbeknownst to us, our mullets got crossed, and we ended up with our hooks just locked into each other. Well, of course, we both think we got a fish, and so I lay, I lay into this, I lay into it as hard as I could. And then Dave, Dave's laying down on the rail. He said, "I pinned it." He got pinned to the rail, and he like cracked a couple ribs. And I oh. hear him over there. I hear him on the other side of the bridge going, "Ah!" ah. And I, I look over, and I, and I pull, and then he pulls, and then he pulls, and I could tell. I go, "Man, we're hooked." <laughs> And so I, 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 we were fighting each other. And so I, I put mine in free spool and luckily the mullets came, you know, came unattached. And I said, I yell over, I go, I go, dude, we were fighting each other. And he goes, oh, dude, you cracked my ribs. And then one night we, we snuck into this place in, uh, over <laughs> near uh, Palm Beach. We were going to get some gizzard shad and we'll go to go fish the spillway. And so Dave's, we're sneaking into this neighborhood. We got the crystal, we got the salt and the, and the crystal blue in the water, got the aeration going. We got everything ready. We sneak in with a big old 10-foot mullet net, and we're going to throw for gizzard shad. And 
we're not supposed to throw a net. We're not even supposed to be there. We just pull right up on a bridge. Dave walks out into the grass and he gets that net ready and he's just about to throw it. And all of a sudden he goes, ah, and you look down with my hat light. I look down and his feet and legs are covered in fire ants. (laughs) He's standing in the middle of the road going, fucking son of a fucking bitch. Fuck, fuck. He rips his shoe. He kicks his shoes off, rips his pants off. He's standing there in his underwear, jumping up and down. And I grab a bucket of water out of the uh, bait well, and I splash his legs and feet with it. And he's like, motherfucker. You know how he gets. <laughs> he got his ass tore up by fire ants. And then one night we were standing on the uh, the bridge in Jupiter by the uh, A1A. And he pitches the net, and it pancakes. And I mean, boom. And it you get so many sand perch in this one throw that between two of us, we couldn't lift it. He had to. We had to snake the net a little bit and, and dump half of them to get them up. <clears throat> then wow. we would just take we would take them over to Flagler, Royal Palm, and Southern, and just stand on the wall there and just just catch 20, 25 pounders all night, thirty pounder here and there. And then my buddy Roger, he Roger put down the biggest sand perch I've ever seen. It looked like the lid of a five gallon bucket, and you know he ass hooked it with a ninety one seventy four nine zero on a a newel converted four aught with hundred pound test and one one uh, one fifty liter, and with a ninety one seventy four Mustad forged hook, sharpened down with a file, and he butt hooks this perch and he drops it down off the Royal Palm Bridge, and he's over on the far east side of it on the uh, the north northeast side uh, of the bridge, about maybe two lights out, and he drops the thing in and it's sweeping on an outgoing tide you know, toward Palm Beach Inlet, and it's sweeping out from the bridge, and all of a sudden it goes, and I just, I mean, I saw it thump, he got hit, and he he reels down, he sets it, and up comes a snook that made my 45-pounder look small. Yeah. I mean, and it went down, and Roger, an old guy, he sounded like Foghorn Leghorn, he goes, now, damn it, Dave, I got him, I got him, I and it went down and went down, and Roger put his foot up on the rail and leaned back and leaned back, and all of a sudden, whew, and up comes this hook, flies up, goes over the bridge. Luckily, there wasn't any cars going by. And he brought it in, and the leader was frayed for like five, six inches, and the 9174 was opened up like a good inch and a half. A, a forged 90, 9174, must add, like crazy strong hook. And he opened it up. And Dave was standing there that night, and then Dave's laughing. He goes, what happened? Roger goes, I just lost Snookzilla. <laughs> and Cope, Cope. Do a podcast with us we do all three of us oh roger would love to do a podcast we got so many stories we were fishing a spillway one morning with justice and uh we were over there by the uh we were in, we were in palm beach county fishing a spillway one you're not supposed to be at you end up parking it on what was then a perkins we parked there and we take our bucket of bait and we sneak up to the spillway and we're fishing there and Roger looks at me. He goes, now, nah, Dave, uh, I'll be right back. I, I, I got to go take a shit. And I go, okay. And, and we're leaving out. We caught like seven or eight. Nice snook. And Roger goes, we're leaving out. And Roger goes, Dave, look over there. And there's this where they had cut a tree down. And there was this stump. This is big stump with a pile of shit right on the very top of it that looked like an elephant dropped it. And I go, Roger, you didn't. He goes, I'm proud of that one, Dave. I, I think we should take a picture of it. <laughs> I go, I, go, I, go, I, go, I, go, I go, 
Eagle Roger. That's a straight up certified lunker dump. <laughs> Dude, he, he goes, I'm proud of that. When I gave birth, that's triplets. I go, triplets? I think it's quintuplets. I go, that looks like an elephant drop. That I, I go, what the hell did you wipe with? And he goes, well, you will be noticing that my socks are gone. <laughs> David and I were laughing so hard we were crying. And then I'm sitting, I'm sitting in another restaurant one morning. Um, Dave and I and this other kid from Miami, we're sitting in this restaurant, and I'm doing the dying, the the, the dying thoughts of a sand perch right before it gets hit by a snook. And I had Dave laughing so hard he was crying, falling out of his seat, and the the whole restaurant started laughing because we were laughing so hard. Oh my God, we've we've had some freaking adventures. I got pictures of Dave spooling up his reel, standing there in his fruit of the loom tidy whities <laughs> flipping me the bird. Oh God, I no, got see that? See that? That's just you know, that's just stuff Lamont and I, you know, would do over the years and and um you guys were doing it and it's like that's the big separation between snook fishing and me taking them anymore. It's like I wanna remember it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's it's. I tell people all the time that 20 years ago, I could go on an outgoing tide in Venice 20 years ago, and if we didn't get a hundred snook every night on a good tide, something 70 to 100 easy, it was something was wrong. I used to go there with 10 dozen pinfish that were no bigger than four inches. Right. 10 dozen live fresh pinfish, put them in the live well, haul them in the back of my truck with a garbage can. And a, and a 360 rule Venturi pump, get to the bait well, then haul them into the boat. The boat's in the water, turn, turn the bait well pump on, dump those in the live well, go out, and then we would just pull along docks. And you didn't even have to throw it up to the dock. You could throw it out in the channel right. 20 feet from the dock, and every pinfish that swept through, you throw it up tide, let it sweep down tide or incoming. Either way, it didn't matter. Every pinfish that went through, you'd, you'd just go – and you'd have eight to 15 pounds one after another, after another, after another, every night. And Ooh, that, then that's what I here in Port Everglades years ago. It's not like that anymore. Ago, 16, 17 years ago. The, the pitch it, was when they would book the trip. So I tell them I'd have, I'd have like 30 mullet or 30 big pinfish, 30 big pinfish, and I would tell them, I'd say, we're gonna we're gonna go fish in the port, and we're gonna anchor up, and this might be a four hour trip. I said, or it might be a thirty bait trip. I go, whichever one comes first. And then, and then on those nights, we would get fifteen snook to the boat, over ten pounds. Two or three of them would be in the twenty pound class, and once a week we'd catch one close to the boat. You know what I mean? And this would go on night after night, and I used to call it my easy. Yeah, what what happened to that fishery? They've got the fish left in there, there. What happened? They're gone. They're just not Where? there. There's little glimpses of the old spring that used to hang out there. Like little glimpses. You go and you can still find uh, schools of 30 or 40 fish, right? Yep. But you go back 15 years ago and basically – from the Coast Guard Station inside Port Everglades to almost the second market in the middle of the ocean at 35 feet, um, it was just wall-to-wall snook. You know what I mean? 
And if, yeah. you had, and if you had to fish for the females, you would barely catch one less than 15 pounds. And I would do this with clients over and over again from, call it June to, call it September 1st. As soon as any finger mullet would show up, that would shut down. And that was the basically what I would call my easy season. You know what I mean? Now, do you think that that... That DNA strand just died out, and due to lack of habitat or or estuary, they never re replenished. No, I, I think it's, just, it's so much more simple than that. Um, we basically killed all the estuaries in them. Yeah, but there's not enough to support that many fish to hang out there and spawn for three months. There's no place for their babies to. There's not enough food for that many fish to be there for that long. So they so just they, left. They they went yeah and they went to Jupiter and Stewart. I mean, we see them in government cut better now than we used to see them. You used to couldn't find them around government cut, but you could crush them in Port Everglades. Bouncer Smith used to fucking come from government cut, or no, actually back then it was probably Hull over, and then all the way to Port Everglades just to snook fish sometimes. That's a yeah, it was a good fisher. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I've fished all over in that many, many nights with Justice. We used to troll that thing with CD18s, Magnum mm -hmm. Palas, and just crush them. Yeah. And uh, like but, you can't catch snooks in those places anymore. But it's just nothing like this. Just nothing. Oh yeah. Well, and I think the amount of people that are fishing now is just insane. You. I don't even know if it's that. I mean, I, I on the East Coast here between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, I'm seeing less people fishing inshore. And, oh yeah, but yeah. I'm seeing less bait. I'm seeing less birds. I'm seeing less wishers. I'm seeing less everything straight across the board. And the tarpon fishery in the last three years is just even from Miami. Okay, where you are? It's just it's just it. I mean, you can get them, but it's nothing. It's just wonderful. not what it was. And dwindling so fast. Wow. If we don't have a tarpon season next year or something that just absolutely blows our mind. And that, too many years. And every little sparks in the tarpon season where everybody thinks it's freaking great. But overall, compared to just eight, nine years ago, I was just listening to a podcast with uh, Bouncer Smith and Andy Moore. And I was listening to Bouncer talk about government cut. Any amount of tarpon it's back up there, right? Yeah. And I fished them before, but there were so many tarpon in Miami back then, I never even went out to the cut. Yeah, no reason. To. They were hanging around the friggin' bridges. I left the cut and the beaches to bounce around them. Yeah, Everyone, like when you when you did that TV when you did that TV show with George Gaz. Right. I mean, those tarpon, you crushed them that night. Dude, that was eight years ago. Eight years ago, yeah, and it was epic then. And yeah. you, you that that whole fishery has gone quiet. Well, the way, not the whole fishery, but like if you notice when I did the show with George, right? Yep. It didn't matter which spot we went to. There was a ton of fish there. You know what I mean? We were in government cut. As soon as we started, there was a ton of fish there, and everybody, they were all happy and they were eating shrimp. So we started hooking. Then we leave them to go to Bear Cut Bridge, where we caught so many so fast. We only stayed there like 30 minutes and got like four, and they were smaller. 
Then we went to the next bridge and the next bridge and the next bridge and it was just wall to wall fish. That never happens anymore. Maybe, oh, happens, maybe it happens at one of the bridges for two nights. And then they're on the in the inlet for five days. Then they're on the inlet and the beaches for like five days, but they're not the other places. You know what I mean? Do you and, think that's habitat or do you think that's uh, pressure? I think between them dredging the the uh, government cut again and also very similar to uh, the snooks in Fort Lauderdale I think that the food supply coming out of the building government cut has never been so poor so one those tarpon I don't think are necessarily dead but I think they're hanging out in like fucking Barbados or something where they can freaking get enough to eat you know what I mean? yeah why come here if there's no food? Well, I think they tried it a few times. They're like, we can't do that again. Or something. I don't know. They're just not there. Or, you know, maybe all the pollution, red tides and stuff like that, and just devastated the larvae. I don't, buy into, I don't buy into that theory, only because on any given year, like this year hasn't been like the year of the big fish, and I haven't been a lot of fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. But two years. I had a hard time catching a fish under 70 pounds. And they were everywhere. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, they're obviously different fish. They're not here on an annual basis. They're all switching spots. And then, um, there's, less guides, about there's less guides chasing around than they have been in a long time. Who was that one guy that was claiming crazy numbers? Yeah, don't talk yeah. about that. They're still reporting all this stuff. Oh yeah, you know who that guy is over there, right by you. He was I talking. Seen to, I seen him the other day. Uh, his numbers I, I, were I not. not I seen him quite a bit when we were working on um, holidays or whatever. He was out there, and um, I actually got uh, into it with me one night. And I'm like, this fool is trying to get into it with me. Like, I, 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 I never get into it. Anymore. So then, uh, fortunate enough, I got to see him at the bait shop like three you know, two weeks later. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Russell, here I am. You know, you want to yell at me now? And then, of course, you want to yell at me? So then we're out there fishing. And we go, crazy. I don't know. Oh. Well, I, that guy was claiming numbers that were undoable. It did. It didn't make any sense. And um, talk, talking about one, I saw one post where he said, oh, we got 40 tarpon last night. Come on, dude. You get 40 tarpon in one night, bo boated. Yeah, with the point. Yeah, with clients, he was claiming like 40, 40 to the boat. Well, right. take, take this, the episode I did with George Banks, right? So, got two better than average fishing on the boat. And we have a better than average night, probably about as good as we can get in start the drinking game, right? Yeah. I think George and I only got like six fish to the boat. You know what I mean? We probably hooked 25 that night. Yeah, and you're talking two superstar anglers. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, it could have went the other way. But if it did go the other way, and say we would have got, um, I don't know, say we would have for the fucking 11. Well, they would probably would have stopped fishing. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, that, that stupid number is just don't make any sense. And why he would put that online and then to see fools actually believe it. I don't know. Exactly.
How's, how's George been? Good, good. You know, he's a little bit busy now filming, but um, every time I talk to him, he seems like he's doing good, busy, you know, which is good. Probably not busy with charters now. Yeah, I haven't reached out to him since the uh, this crazy slowdown, but I did kind of touch base to him right before he did that Chub Key episode because I was getting cancellations like crazy. Yeah. So I gave him a little note. Need any help? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, I need um, some. I need, yeah, you could. But that was my last uh, contact with him. Matter of fact, yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm gonna call him up and. Um, that's the first time he's been to Chub Key, so I wanted to maybe maybe he'll do a podcast and just do one exclusively on his trip to Chub Key because it sounds like uh, he was forward. Yeah, see how he did. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, brother. We're, shoot, man. All right, uh, dude. Welcome to Skype. You were great. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Let's stay in touch, and if you get time to where we can, where we're allowed to sneak out, let's go. As soon as um. This virus goes away. I got to go visit my parents, and I'm going to let you know I'm coming. All right. Let me know way ahead of time. All right. As soon as I can. Okay? All right. You got it. See you. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.